I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28, and we come here, Jesus has just been rejected. He has pronounced some judgment on the, in the region of Capernaum where he's been. <clears throat> and then he reaches out to those that, are, that, are, that want truth, that want to, to serve him. And he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And this, the title is going to be a little strange this morning until we get into it. Shalat, Shabbat, Shalom, Shalom. And we'll understand as we go. Uh, and so, but... Uh, I, I hope that we'll kind of grasp or begin to grasp this principle this morning uh, as we go through and work our way through this, this passage and others. Let's pray and ask the Lord to meet with us. Father, thank you for the time this morning. I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you'd strengthen our faith. I pray that you would help us to live at a spiritually healthy and sustainable pace of life in which we are effective in communicating the gospel not just in the words in which we speak, but in the way in which we live our lives. And Lord, it doesn't mean a whole lot if we say the right things, but give the wrong example by the way that we conduct our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to appreciate and to, uh, to live in the grace that you've given us while we yet understand the importance of our, of our deep personal relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's evident here as Jesus is teaching, and again, he's just been in Capernaum a lot. He's preached a lot. He's done miracles. He's done a lot of things there. There is an increasing hostility. Uh, there are those that are listening and hearing and receiving and those that are rejecting. Uh, and those that are rejecting, those that, that are the religious crowd, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those that are in power, uh, they are feeling threatened, and the more so, the, the more bold they get at trying to trip him up and trying to bring uh, judgment upon him and to get him really out, remove Jesus from the equation. Uh, and so when we look here, that's essentially what's going on. He's, he's rejected and he's predicting their judgment, and then he makes a plea, come unto me, all ye the laborer and the heavy laden. So what really do these words mean and what does it express? And we're going to get to our title in just a moment, but uh, we have to lay this down here uh, and give some guidelines or give some, some defining of terms here so that we understand. The people that are longing uh, for the Messiah are longing for the wrong Messiah. <coughs> in other words, they're, 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 they're missing a vital step of the ministry of Messiah and they're looking for what we're still waiting for and the second coming of the Lord and his millennial reign. That's what they were expecting. That's what they were looking for. Uh, but before that happened, Jesus had to come and make atonement for our sin. Jesus had to come and, uh, and bring us back into fellowship with God uh, to revive and resurrect the spirit within us uh, through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus does that. And so here are the people. They're longing for peace, but what they really are looking for is an external peace, a superficial peace. And, and my friends, this morning, that's what a lot of people in life that are looking for peace are looking for. 
They don't realize that. They, they just, we, we use terms so loosely in our language and in our way of thinking uh, that, we, that we're living life and we're saying, I just wish I could find some peace. But what we mean is external peace. What we relate to is an external peace. It's uh, we want things politically to settle down. We want. I'm not saying those are bad things to, to want. I'm just saying that's not the point of what Jesus came to do. Uh, and so he's he's looking here and and communicating. Uh, and so they're they're looking for this external peace. But what Jesus came to give was inner peace. You understand this morning that if we spend a lifetime. Uh, lamenting the state of society and culture, we're never going to feel like we've achieved any peace in life because it's not going to get better. It's going to continue to get worse. The Bible tells us that. It makes it clear. It's clearly the Lord's will that he return uh, and for his bride. Uh, and in order for that to happen, things have to continue to get worse. That doesn't mean that your life and my life cannot be defined by and inner peace no matter what we're going through. Whether we're sick, whether we're persecuted, uh, whether life is difficult or it's easy, whether we're employed or unemployed, whether uh, we're facing problems and, <coughs> and issues or whether we're in a season where everything's going well, He's talking here uh, not about bringing uh, a, an appeasement of their fleshly desire for peace against Rome and against outer enemies. He's talking about bringing an inner peace in the soul that no matter what's going on in the world around us, the Christian is at peace. A Christian that's in communist China or communist Russia uh, or in a very oppressive society where they're threatened, where they're persecuted, where in some cases they're even in this day and age uh, beheaded and uh, in some cases uh, tortured in other ways because they name the name of Christ in their faith, uh, then, then that person can have a peace that passes all understanding that the world will never understand and quite frankly most Christians will never understand and to a point thank God that we won't have need to understand in most cases uh, and so God selects some uh, for those type of things and so they're longing for this peace that Jesus comes to bring and so he prophesies the judgment and then he makes a call to them to come and to find this <coughs> excuse me, rest. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And I'm going to give you several definitions in about a couple of different passages of scripture here. Uh, and so they're going to have to be fast. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to necessarily give you the Greek or the Hebrew word. Uh, it's not important that we remember that or that we know that, but that we get the, the definition. Uh, and so rest here comes from a word that means reflexively to repose or to, to lie down. And so when he talks about rest here in the, in the sense of what does that mean to me in my physical being, it means to come to a point where I stop and I lie down and my physical body can begin then uh, to rest and to recover. Uh, literally, <coughs> it, 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 it means uh, to lie down. Re figuratively, it means to refresh. Now, what happens to us physically when we sleep is that we refresh. Uh, you, your brain can't be healthy if you don't get enough sleep. Now, I lived in a time, and I was young in a time, especially uh, in church leaders in, in mold, where if you slept more than uh, four or five hours a night, you were lazy. And that, that was drilled into us. That was uh, over. That was heavily emphasized. It was 
And when, when that's drilled into you, it's really hard to separate from that and to not feel uh, guilty or like you're not doing the right thing. Uh, our bodies have a way as we get older of forcing the issue. Uh, and so, but the, the reality is, is that if you don't get enough sleep at night, your brain is being damaged. Your brain isn't healing. Uh, things that break down and that are used throughout your, in the, in your neurologically in your brain uh, are not reconnecting and rejuvenating and getting what they need. And so rest is an important aspect here. Figuratively, it means to refresh, but there's a physical element too. So it means this, by definition, to cause or permit one to cease from any labor in order to recover. So I'm going to stop working physically. I'm going to stop working mentally for the purpose of recovery. You cannot go indefinitely at physical labor without rest. You cannot go indefinitely with a high degree of mental labor <coughs> without rest. There's, there comes a certain point in the day where your brain just shuts down and, and it's, it's, you're cognitively, you're useless. I am. In the morning, I, my, things function and I can think and I can process and I can absorb information. I can connect things. At some point, about one or two o'clock in the afternoon, for about an hour or an hour and a half, there's not a lot of productive activity that's going on between my ears. Uh, it just, I'm, I'm checked out, I'm shut down. Sometimes I'll try to read and I can't stay awake for about an hour or so. And whether I catnap or not, uh, after a certain amount of time, things just kind of come back to life and I start thinking again, but it's to cause. And so this is an intentional act. It means to keep <coughs> quiet of calm and patient expectation. To keep quiet and to be of calm and patient expectation. So when I'm resting, I'm quiet, I'm still. Be still and know that I am God. How many times does God tell us, command us to wait on him? Uh, we don't do that in our society and culture today. We, it's just, it's foreign to our way of living. Uh, and so he said it, it is to, to be quiet. It is to put yourself in a place of calm and patient expectation. Now, I realized this morning that most of what I'm saying is very counter to our culture, to the American dream, to the Western way of life. But I'm just telling you this morning, if you want to be a spiritually and emotionally healthy Christian, we have to get this concept. I wonder how many this morning are going, you walked in this morning physically, mentally, or, and or emotionally shot, you're drained. The burden that you carry, the responsibilities that you feel are so heavy and so burdensome that you feel like you're suffocating and can't breathe. And we get dressed and we put on a smile and our happy face and we come to church and we go through the motions of worship, but we're not really living a liberated life in which God is carrying our load and we're in the yoke with him. Now that makes sense a little bit more here in a moment. Uh, but we're talking about here rest being, being calm and patient expectation. 
I'm expecting God to do what God said he will do. I'm expecting the Lord to show up. I'm expecting the Lord to reveal himself to me. So he says, come unto me all ye that labor are, and are heavy laden. So his invitation here is to those who are laboring. <coughs> so when we talked about labor here, the, the Greek word here means to grow exhausted with toil, with burdens, or with grief. So he's talking about, I'm, I'm exhausted physically, I'm invested and exhausted mentally, and I'm invested and exhausted emotionally. So listen, I, I don't, you, you, no one's going to be effective in ministry in the Christian life if you're, not, if you're not engaged and invested in the work of God physically, mentally, and emotionally. But if I'm all wrapped up in that and doing it in my own flesh and in my own way, I am at a breaking point of exhaustion. That's why you see so many pastors that at about the 20 year mark, 20 to 25 years, they start having mental, emotional, and spiritual breakdowns. They're, they're leaving the ministry in droves. They're, uh, they're struggling because it's hard uh, to, to maintain this, uh, the, the, the time that's required in order to step back and to let God restore the soul. So those who labor. So he's making an invitation to those who labor and are heavy laden. Uh, and so when we talk about laden, laden comes from a word that means properly to load up a vessel or an animal. And so it's just loading down uh, a, a beast of burden, essentially, uh, to we don't do that much anymore. We load trucks today. We load trailers today. Uh, but but in most of history, they loaded livestock and they, they would load them down with what they could carry and they would only be able to go so far of a, of a distance before the animal had to be rested uh, and you had to take care and be good stewards of those things. Uh, but it's to be loaded. Uh, figuratively, it is to overburden with ceremony or spiritual anxiety. Now, I'm making this as the actual Greek definition here. It is in a figurative sense. It is to overburden with ceremony. What religion does is overburdens God's people with ceremony. What, what traditional, uh, what the, traditionally, uh, the churches that I was brought up in, uh, were not, it was not the intended consequence but the reality was is that we were overburdened uh, with uh, a lot of religious activity with little emphasis placed on walk with God. Walk with God was talked about, walk to God was preached, walk with God was preached, but never was it emphasized over the labor because it was all about building something for God. All right, now, now listen, God never told us to build anything. Jesus said, I will build my church. So the mindset that's so grilled into us, I've got to go do a great work for God. No, you don't. You have to walk with God and you have to have a relationship with God and you have to listen to God, stay in step with God and he'll build it. Amen. And so when we look at what we're trying to accomplish, it's, it's the, the, the point is, is that we can't accomplish anything. But there's not anything that God can't accomplish in his time and in his purpose. Stop wearing yourself out trying to do something for God. Just walk with him, rest with him, and let him do it through you. Uh, and so he's, he's making this invitation. Uh, and so here's what it leads to. To be overburdened with ceremony or spiritual anxiety. And, and I, listen, 
I've, I've, most people that are my age that are pastoring uh, live in a world of spiritual anxiety. If we're still trying to walk in the way in which it was grilled into us, it's, it was supposed to be done. <clears throat> and so, listen, I'm a traditional person. I'm not one to just throw everything old out. I'm not really talking about changing a lot of methods so much as the, the motive and the drive and the mentality behind it and what we're trying to accomplish and see uh, and, and praying that God does. Uh, but we come in spiritually overburdened and weighed down and emotionally shot and we put on a happy face when we assemble. But we're not really all that God wants us and intends for us to be. And so his invitation is to those that are laboring and they're heavy laden. What's he doing? We saw him do this in our, in our series through the Sermon on the Mount. We saw this a lot, especially throughout chapter 6. Most of chapter 6, Jesus is resetting their thinking to God's intention. And that's what he's doing here. The Lord Jesus Christ here is simply telling them, this is where we're supposed to live. This is what God's intention for us is. This is the life, this is the path, this is the rhythm of life that God expects us to live by. He's bringing them back to the rhythm of life that God established at creation. <clears throat> Consider Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Thou, God, will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. <clears throat> now let's consider the words here. The word perfect, <clears throat> we understand generally in English, in terms of scripture, to mean mature. Uh, it doesn't mean to be without fault. It doesn't mean to be without flaw. It doesn't mean to be without sin. It means to be mature. But more specifically here in Hebrew, the word is shalom. And so when we look at uh, that, that perfect peace, we're looking at uh, that shalom and the word peace is shalom. You see Hebrew people today, uh, and they greet each other, and they say hello and goodbye with shalom, or peace be unto you. What God says here literally is, I will keep you in perfect shalom, peace, shalom. I will keep you shalom, shalom, in perfect peace. What he's extenuating here is that it is a complete, thorough peace. It's not just peace, it's perfect peace. I'm, I'm leading here, God says. And so what does that mean? Well, here's what the word means. It means completeness. I will keep you complete. I will, I will maintain a completeness in you. It means safety. It means soundness. It means tranquility. How long has it been, Christian, since you've experienced a peace in your heart that made you feel tranquil? at ease, de-stressed. It is contentment and friendship, especially with God in a covenant relationship. So when he talks about, <coughs> I will keep you in perfect peace, I will keep you complete in the covenant relationship. I will be your friend. I will keep you sound. 
Are we of sound mind? That's, I know, realize that's debatable with a lot of us. Uh, and so I will keep you sound. And so that perfect peace, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind. The word that's used for mind here means form, imagination, or device. In other words, it's my, it's my intellectual processes. It's the way that my brain functions. And so uh, we don't all think the same. We don't all function the same. Uh, but however it is that your brain works and processes information uh, and, and brings it together, I will keep your mind complete. I will, I will keep the functioning of your mind and the processing of your mind complete who is stayed on thee. The word stayed means to lean or to lay or rest upon. And so I'm, I'm coming along. Every once in a while you get tired. There's not a place to sit. What do you want to do? You want to lean against something. You want to lean upon someone. You want to rest. If you're, if you're injured, sometimes you have to put an arm around someone. They put on you and they kind of help you hobble along. Uh, it's that idea. I will lean or rest upon. It means that I will be braced upon or sustained by. And, and here's the essence. Stayed on thee. To sustain, to refresh, to revive. So if you're stayed on me, if you are refreshed by me, God says, if you are revived by me, if you are, uh, if you are leaning upon me, uh, then I will keep you in perfect peace. It, it's the, I have to, and here's the bottom line, because he trusteth in me. I have to trust God. Why are we so stressed out? Because we trust our own labor and not God. Why are we so emotionally drained? Because we're trying to do it ourselves instead of trusting God. We try to solve our own work problems, our own family problems, our own walk with God problems, our own understanding of scripture problems. We try to solve them ourselves and we put this burden upon ourselves that God never intended for us to put there. Trusteth. The word here means to have confidence in. It also means to be bold and to be secure and to feel safe because I trust in him. Because I feel safe, I can be bold. Because I feel safe and because I have confidence in him, I feel secure. It means to be careless uh, in, its, in its actual definition. We wouldn't say it that way in our the way that we use language today. We would say more, we would say more carefree. And it's not that I'm careless in the sense of I just go do whatever with reckless abandon and whatever happens doesn't matter. It's that I'm carefree. I'm not burdened down by what I can or cannot do. I am liberated to do what God's put in my heart to do because I'm not trusting me to do it. I'm trusting him. I'm in the yoke with him. Uh, and so, and that's simple enough. And, you know, it used to be even 75 years ago and, and for sure 100 years ago and all of history before that, the vast majority of human labor was agricultural. We had a great understanding of that. We don't, especially in urban areas, have such a good understanding uh, of some of the terminology or the, or the methods and the ways of working. But he says, put, take my yoke upon you. You would put uh, two yoke of, uh, a yoke of oxen. You would put two oxen together. One instinctively was the lead. Uh, the other was there to support. And, and, and they, they were together. And that yoke bound them together. And it lightened their load. And uh, one really did more of it. And if, whether it was oxen or whether it was horses or whether it was uh, mules or donkeys, it was the same effect. <coughs> Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Because my burden is easy. 
He says, put, get in the yoke with me. Stop trying to do it on your own and come to me. And so what he's getting at here is this. He says, I want you to maintain a healthy life. And this is the intent of the Sabbath. Shabbat is the word in Hebrew for Sabbath. Perfect peace. What I'm saying this morning is that the intent of the Sabbath is to maintain perfect peace in one's life. Now I'm going to demonstrate how God demonstrated that this morning as we go through the message. And I'm listen, I, I'm not saying this morning uh, that, hey, listen, we've got to jump in and follow the law and, and, and get in all of the, of the Sabbath. What I'm trying to draw our attention to is the intent of the Sabbath. Because without genuine Sabbath rest, we will never be spiritually, mentally, and emotionally healthy Christians. Now, for most Christians, Sunday is the most logical day for Sabbath. If you work a traditional schedule of Monday through Friday, then Saturday is your day uh, to do chores, to mow the lawn, to uh, do those types of things. But Sunday is rest. Now, in our country, up until about 1970, or, or, or even into the late 70s, in some areas, I remember as a child uh, in the mid-70s up in North Texas, uh, that there, there were still a lot of blue laws in effect. And when they were lifted, a lot of businesses still would not open on Sunday. You look back in the agricultural society that our nation was up until the Industrial Revolution in around 1900. And what you'll see is that people traditionally did not work on Sunday. <clears throat> they rested. They worshipped. They, they came together, they gathered with community and with friends, and they engaged in restorative activity and relationships uh, that, uh, that, that in, encouraged them and strengthened them and were life-giving to them. <clears throat> and essentially what he's saying in Isaiah 26.3 and what Jesus is demonstrating in Matthew chapter number 11 and verses 28 through 30 is a call to a true Sabbath. Not the Sabbath that the Pharisees had burdened them with. Not the Sabbath that the Pharisees are always accusing him of breaking. If you notice in chapter 12, the, it, it, it's right away apparently after this, he's in the field on the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. Immediately it's the Sabbath and immediately there's a problem. He's not following what they thought the Sabbath should be. He's demonstrating what God intended the Sabbath to be. He's following up his teaching with an application of this not what this looks like is not what the religious crowd wants. What this looks like is the way God has set it forth and intended it to be. And so God created the earth. And this is a little philosophical, so you're going to have to bear with me for a minute here. God created the earth with natural rhythms. And in our culture, in our society today, we do not live by the rhythms that God established in creation. God created a perfect earth. God created man in his image in perfection. When we sinned, we messed that up. But look at what God created and learn what God intended. And don't throw away something that technically we are not under because we're under grace. We're not under the law. So therefore the Sabbath was part of the law. So I don't, don't miss the benefit of what God established in Genesis chapter two. 
All right, this isn't something that came about with the advent of the law. The Sabbath was established by God in Genesis chapter 2 at creation. And so, and we're going to get there in just a moment. <coughs> but consider this. <clears throat> there are natural rhythms to life. When God created the earth, he created the sun and the moon, obviously, to rule the day, to rule the night. He created the seasons. He created the days. He created the years. And in all of them have a rhythm. In other words, uh, a day has a rhythm. It has uh, a morning. It has that, that heat of the day. It has that coming to rest in the evening. It has a period of sleep for restoration and for service. Uh, a year, a week has that with a Sabbath. A year has that with the seasons. You have a season in which things are dormant, where the days are short. You know what people did before there was artificial light? And before there was television and before there was radio and all kinds of distractions, they slept. And you read stories about these people that got up and they, they got up at 4 or 5 o'clock and prayed for hours a day. What you miss is that, because we try to do that now. We'll try to do that now, but we'll stay up until 11 or 12 and, or 1 and go 3 hours of sleep. Well, I can't stay awake. Well, they, they went to bed at 7 o'clock. They went to sleep when it got dark. There was, uh, you know, by, by the time of uh, the development of, uh, of the ancient Mediterranean, most homes had some kind of an oil lamp in them. About 500 B.C., the Chinese developed a way to trap volcanic gases and funnel it through bamboo pipes to put streets on their, uh, on their city streets. But, but you, we're talking about a lot of history up until that point. What did people do? They lived by the natural rhythm that God established in creation. And they, they functioned that way. So in the winter, when the days were short, they slept and rested more. Their bodies and their spirits and their souls were restored. They had time to fellowship and they had time to read and they had time to pray. They had uh, less work to do. When spring came, the workload increased as the days got longer. There was a season for planting. In the summer, there was a season for cultivating, for uh, caring for the crops. In the fall, there was a season, and the days got longer, to accommodate the extra workload. They were rested because of the, of the rhythm of life of the winter, uh, and they worked longer hours in the rhythm of life of the summer, and then they harvested, and then they rejoiced as the days got shorter, and they recuperated. There was a period of preparation before the long season of labor. There was a period of recovery after the long season of labor, and it's a natural rhythm of creation that God has established. We don't live that way. Now I want you to consider and hold your place here and go to Genesis chapter 2 uh, just for a minute. So we're going to look at this and say, well, Pastor, the word Sabbath doesn't even show up in the Bible until, uh, until uh, Moses makes it part of the law in Exodus. And <coughs> in English, you're, you're right, but in Hebrew, you're not. In Genesis chapter number 2, uh, and we get to the first three verses. Creation is complete. God has created. He spent six days creating the earth. Uh, he's created it in, uh, in order. He's, he's uh, uh, created it in the, in the way in which it will function and has to go about being. Uh, he looks at it and says that everything that I've made is, is very good. Uh, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And then God rested. Don't think 
this morning that God rested because he was tired. God wasn't tired. God was establishing a pattern and a rhythm of life. And God was, uh, was looking at the word rest here uh, and, and what it means in its entirety and not the way that we perceive it, meaning just to stop working and to go to sleep or to, uh, to, to, to just kind of shut our minds off. Notice what he says in chapter 2 and verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he hath made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. And the word rested in this passage is Shabbat. God established a Sabbath rest in creation. It's part of the rhythm of life. It's part of the rhythm of his creation. And I cannot live a healthy life if I do not follow the path that God gave. Now, what does it mean in, in this version of the word Shabbat? To cease, he stopped working. I've stopped my labor. I cease. But it also means to celebrate. What does he say here? Verse 31 of chapter 1. And God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. He's celebrating the accomplishment of creation. So what is Sabbath supposed to be? I stop working physically and mentally and emotionally, I engage in worship of my God and I celebrate what God has done in my life and the walk that I have with God and I contemplate what God has for me next. It's all about not doing different work. It's not that I'm not doing my, uh, my, my, <coughs> my living earning job so that I come home on my Sabbath and do all of my chores around the house that have to be done. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I come to a place which up until the Industrial Revolution and the advent of, uh, of all the devices that we have now, it's gotten worse in recent years, not better. And that's only going to continue. We've gotten to a point uh, where he's saying, listen, uh, he's saying, you've got to stop. You've got to stop your work. You've got to stop your mind. You've got to stop to all of those problems and processes. And listen, I can't spend a Sabbath day for myself thinking about all of the workload and the vision for, uh, for, <coughs> for the, the things and the details of all the things that are coming up over the next few months uh, for the church. For me, that's work. I've got to come apart from that. But I can celebrate my relationship with the Lord and what God's worked in my life and souls that have been saved and, uh, and, things that, and, and ways that God is leading in different areas and restoring the soul. It is coming to a place where we're restoring the soul. So God created for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. He kept a Sabbath, not for his benefit, but for ours, to celebrate what was done, to celebrate how God had worked in his life. So it's God's rhythm, days, years, seasons, natural rhythms of life in which God gave us a time to rest, a time to cease. It's the rhythm. It's labor and rest. It's slow. It's deliberate. And it's a worshipful pace. That's our problem today. We don't live at a deliberate 
worshipful pace. We're in a hurry everywhere we go. I, I, this morning, I'm getting on the on-ramp at I-10 at 146 to come to church, and there's four cars in front of me, and there's six cars behind me, and there's nobody on the interstate, and we can't get on the highway because there's a guy in the front that's going about 30 miles an hour and comes almost to a dead stop before he gets on, even though there's nothing coming. I'm going to tell you, my natural response was not to not hurry. My natural response was, what is wrong with this guy? Get out of the way. And I'm not thinking I'm in a hurry, but I'm living in a hurry. You understand what I'm trying to say this morning? We live in a hurry. And because we live in a hurry, we cannot hear the voice of God. God, uh, God can't break through. So how did this happen? <coughs> we lived at a rhythm that was natural. And about 1500 B.C. in Egypt, the first sundial was developed. Time started to become an, a, a thing. Uh, and then uh, around 1200, the late 1200s to the early 1300s, depending upon who you read and, uh, and what you, how you define clock, whether it had hands or not, the first clocks that were erected in town centers were erected in southern Germany and northern Italy somewhere around 1270 to about 1300 or so uh, A.D. And... Uh, in medieval times, and they didn't have hands, they just chimed the hour. People became aware of time. Fast forward that uh, to the advent of uh, clocks with hands, and, uh, and then you get to the point where, uh, where you've now got artificial light, uh, even as early as Alexander the Great and that era where people have uh, lamps and things that are oil burning within their homes and then later wicks were added to extend the, uh, the, the length of life and the, and the efficiency <coughs> and people started staying up later rather than following the rhythm that God established we circumvented the rhythm so that we could make more use of the day and better use of time. Listen, the answer to our problem is not more time. We all are guilty of saying, if the day, I wish today had six more hours. If I just had another hour a day, if I just, it would still be the same problem. Because we're out of rhythm with God. We're out of rhythm with God's creation and what God's intent was. Then in the late 1800s, you have uh, the, the Samuel Morse comes up with Morse code and uh, the wires are strung and information is sent more quickly. In the late 1800s, you have the advent of the telephone. Uh, in the early 1900s, 19, in the 1920s, you have the advent of radio and television, though uh, radio became prominent much earlier than television did in the, in the basic market. But both became functional and operational in the 1920s, one about 1922 or 3, the other 1927 or 8 somewhere in that time frame and those things uh, began to offer entertainment and people would stay up even later and then uh, computers came about in the 19 uh, in 1945 the first computers came about and the first PC in the 1970s and then uh, and then the first cell phone in 1973 and the first international cell call was made about 1984 or 5 uh, in 2007 the first iPhone hit the market and now we walk around with computers in our hand that are far more powerful than the computers that sent man to the moon in 1969 and we cannot go through life without being glued to face first into our phones everywhere that we go and we stay up until 11 or 12 or 1 o'clock at night on Facebook or Instagram or doing this or doing that instead of 
following the rhythm of God and sleeping and we can't get up in the morning, we can't function in the day because we're broken and we're not rested and we go through life weary and distraught and broken mentally, spiritually and emotionally because we have forgotten the rhythm that God established in his creative work. Jesus calls us back to that rhythm. Now I'm not saying this morning that we need to start going to bed at 7 o'clock I am saying that there's a lot of value in coming back to a world in which we practice the Sabbath. And the, 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 you're at an advantage over your pastor in that regard. Because the last thing that Sunday is to any pastor is a Sabbath. Today is the day in which we pour out far more than we do at any other time during the week. I've got a long way to go in figuring this out for myself, but I think I can help you. And so it's something that we've become increasingly aware of and studying and reading. And it's, it's the light has come on us. So why we're so broken. Jesus says, come to me and rest and celebrate and be renewed and I will restore you. How long, Christian, has it been since you felt restored in your spirit? Restored as you've gone through life restored mentally, emotionally, and physically. So let's consider some things about this this morning. Number one this morning, the first Sabbath. Consider the first Sabbath. Yes, I'm aware of the hour. We're going to move quickly here. What was the first Sabbath? We looked at it in Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. God stopped, celebrated, <coughs> rested. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So what do we learn about that initial Sabbath? There's a cessation of labor. If you're going to practice a real Sabbath stop, you can't work. I'm not, listen, I'm not advocating a, a ceremonial law Sabbath in which, you, you know, you can't, you can't, you got to cook your meal for Sunday on Saturday before it's, it's more of a heart, mental aspect of going through life. I think that you would be better served to prepare something that wasn't extremely labor intensive when you got home from church to prepare. Crockpots are great, I think, a great thing on Sunday. And there, there are a lot of things that we can do to kind of minimize the load. But the point is this. My work stops. My mind celebrates God. It engages in the worship of the Lord. It's engaged with God's people and, and relationships that heal me and that give life to me and that strengthen my spirit and that strengthen my soul. It is a cessation of labor. Secondly, it is a celebration of creation. That's what God did. He said, look, everything that I've made, and it's very good. We had not yet sinned. Man had not yet fallen. He looked at it and he said, it is very good good. What is a Sabbath supposed to be? Cessation of labor and a celebration of creation. We don't celebrate creation. We don't have time. We don't. Now listen, in the area that we live, especially this time of the year, that's a harder thing to do too. Get out where it's not as hot and where it's, uh, where it's cooler. And there's, uh, when I get out in some place where there's mountains or where the, the ocean water is beautiful, where there's a good breeze, where the tension is, to tension is tolerable. Uh, I, when I go out west, I tend to wake up early. 
no clock. I have to set a clock here. I don't generally set a clock when I go out west somewhere. I just kind of naturally, about 5 o'clock in the morning, I just kind of wake up. And I don't just wake up and I'm groggy. I wake up and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go for a walk. I'm ready to go uh, engage in activity. I'm ready to get in my Bible. I'm ready to spend some time in prayer. I'm ready to, uh, to just, what is it? It is a celebration of creation. Celebrate the creation. Do you realize this morning that God gave us the earth for us to enjoy? When's the last time that you took the time to enjoy anything in it? When's the last time that we did anything in a way that gave us a moment to enjoy our families, to enjoy our friendships, to enjoy our lives? To, we're, we're so busy working and trying to get the next thing and to pad the bank account and do it. And listen, I'm not against working hard, and I think Christians ought to be the hardest work at their place of employment. Like, we ought to have great testimonies for that. I, but I also think you ought to use every bit of your vacation time. I read a book recently, and the pastor of the church who wrote the book said that one of the first things that he requires is uh, his new employees coming on is an agreement that they will use all of their vacation time. Don't let it go to waste. You need the time away. Uh, and so he's trying to take care of his people and their spirit. It's a celebration of creation. It is a calmness of spirit. It's the last time you felt calm. We look calm. But I guarantee you if I went around the room this morning, probably 70 to 80% of you, your mind, your heart is racing and raging at everything that's going on in them and what you've got to do next. There's no calm. Do you ever notice that Jesus is never in a hurry? I can't find one place in the Gospels, even when someone was at death's door, and Jesus was headed to them that he was ever in a hurry. Go to a third world country and you kind of get a concept of this idea. Get out into rural areas in the States and you get it somewhat. It's just different. It is a calmness of spirit. About a hundred years ago or so, there were some European missionaries that went to, to Africa and they had to get some loads into an inland a, a lot of material into an inland outpost in their, in their missions work. It was a long journey. It was probably <coughs> about 400 or so miles. The only way to get there was by foot. <clears throat> and so they hired some villagers to, to carry the load of materials that they were trying to get to the station. And they hired them, they set out, and they were frustrated by the end of the first day because they just didn't get as far as they wanted to get. They were on a tight schedule. They knew they wanted to get here at a certain date. Uh, and, and so the second day, they thought, well, maybe it's just getting the rhythm of, of carrying the load and we'll do better tomorrow. They get to the end of the second day and they didn't do better at all. They traveled about the same amount of distance. And, uh, and uh, you know, the, the, the people they hired, uh, the villagers were happy, uh, but they were stressed out because they weren't making enough progress. So day three comes along and they start really pushing everyone to make it farther. And they made it twice as far as they did the first two days. And the villagers were exhausted and frustrated, but they were happy. They get up on the fourth day and they come to their entourage of people that they've hired to carry their load. And they say, okay, it's time to get up and get moving. Why aren't you picking up the load? Why aren't you getting packed up? And they say, well, we're not going anywhere. And they said, well, why not? We hired you to carry the load. And they said, well, we can't go today. 
well, why can't you go today? And they're, they're pressing the issue and things are getting tense. And they said, we can't go because we went too fast yesterday and we have to wait for our souls to catch up with our bodies. How long has it been, my friend, since your soul and your spirit caught up with your body? You understand what I'm talking about this morning? I'm not talking about the traditional, stereotypical Christian life in which we run at an Americanized, frantic pace to get things done, but rather a, play, a pace in which we walk with God and forget about anything other than what He gives us to do and let the results be what He determines they're going to be and rejoice in it so that along the journey, we're not walking through life worn out, stressed out, and burnt out. We're walking through life arm in arm, leaning upon a Savior that loves us and gave himself for us. So that when we arrive in the presence of God, we're not worn out in need of a thousand year rest when we first get to heaven. But we walk through the gates excited to see our Father and can run up and jump on his lap and give him a big hug. And have plenty of energy to go talk to all the saints that have gone on before. The first Sabbath was a cessation of labor. It was a celebration of creation. It was a calmness of the spirit. And it was practiced by Almighty God. So, Pastor, aren't we going to Exodus next when it's implemented in the law? No, we're not. I'm not trying to get across a religious ceremonial rite. I'm trying to get across the idea of what God intended for healthy Christian living. We've seen the first Sabbath. Consider, secondly, the focus of the Sabbath. What's the, what's the intent? What is the focus of it? We saw that in uh, Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed in thee <coughs> because he trusteth in thee. I want this perfect peace. What is the focus? The focus, first of all, four parts here. First of all, cessation from labor. Physically and mentally. Cease from labor. Come together. Worship together. But don't labor. Now I understand. It depending on what your responsibilities are in the church. My responsibilities are. I've got to have a separate day for a Sabbath. I, I can't function. Most pastors try to take one day off a week. I have recently come to the realization that if I'm going to be healthy, I've got to take two. I need one to run errands and do all of the tedious things of life then meet the needs of my family, but I also have to have a day to renew my walk with God, my spirit with God, my energy with the Lord. And by the way, it's a, very, it's a great struggle to try to accomplish. I have not accomplished it. Matter of fact, my daughter-in-law came to me the other day and she said, because I was for a while, I was trying to do Monday Tuesday, she said, is that, did you, is that still a thing? And I said, Right now, it's not practical. It's not possible. I'm still trying to figure it out. And so this is a journey. This isn't something that comes easy. Because it goes against the way that we're, that we're trained by our culture. It's a cessation of labor, physically and mentally. You're not having a Sabbath if you stop working physically, but your mind stays engaged in, the, in what you have at work all day while you're not there. Leave it at, home, leave it at work. Don't bring it home. You're not, you're not in Sabbath if you, you spend all day fretting about all the people that you've got to deal with when you get to the office tomorrow. They'll, let me give you a hint. 
they'll still be there. Forget about them today. And just spend some time with the Lord. It's communion with the Lord. It's not just, hey, I'm going to stop working and thinking. Okay, it's, it's intentionally entering into communion with the Lord. It, it's, it's coming into fellowship with Him. It's stopping and giving Him an opportunity to speak. I was having a conversation with my oldest son Friday night. Uh, the, he and his wife and their kids came over. And, and we've been talking a while. And he said, man, I've been talking a lot. And I hadn't, I hadn't said much of anything at that point. And that's okay. So, but he had a lot to say. That was good. But that's the way that we are with our Heavenly Father oftentimes where we just have a lot to say, but we never stop and listen. He did stop and listen. We, we, we go to God when we've got great burdens and great needs and we unload the wagon on the Lord. And that's fine. But don't leave until you've waited for him to respond. Hear what he has to say. What, how do I have time for that? You would have time for that if you practice his habit. You would find peace that's perfect and, refi- and re- refreshing if we practice the Sabbath. Celebrate creation. It's a celebration of creation. Now, I've already talked about that. I'm not going to belabor the point this morning, but if I'm going to, fo- what was the focus of the Sabbath? The focus of the Sabbath, and notice verse 29 of Matthew, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest into your souls. The purpose, rest for the soul. I want to find that rest for the soul. How? Stop laboring physically and mentally. Commune with the Lord. Celebrate your creation. And then, fourthly, center life and responsibilities. It's for centering my life and responsibilities. I'm not talking about working all the details of what I've got to do this week. I'm talking about is my life centered? Is it in step with God? Is it in tune with Him? Is it in focus with Him? So we've seen the first Sabbath, the focus of the Sabbath, and then thirdly, finally this morning, the fulfillment of the Sabbath. What is the fulfillment? How do I know when the Sabbath is being fulfilled in my life? Notice verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Three thoughts about this, and we'll wrap this up this morning. First, a fulfilled Sabbath puts me in an easy yoke. Even if my job is stressful tomorrow, the yoke that I'm walking in is an easy one because I'm not walking it alone. I'm in the yoke with the Lord. My life is centered and focused with Him. My life is encouraged and I'm listening to Him. I'm leaning upon Him. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting in Him. I'm boldly going with Him. It is an easy yoke. Secondly, it's an enjoyable pace of life. How long has it been since you've looked over your life and said, you know, the pace of life in which I'm living is enjoyable. May I say to you this morning that God does not intend for your life to be miserable? He wants it to be enjoyable. Every Christian should enjoy life. Doesn't mean there aren't times of stress. It doesn't mean there aren't times of burdens. It doesn't mean that there's not times of, of heartache and grief. But overall, my life should be defined by the fact that I'm enjoying my life. Pastor, you always enjoy your life? No, it's a struggle sometimes. But I know what I should be. I know what's available to me if I'll get in the yoke. And then thirdly, it's an effective expression of Jesus. You know how to effectively express the Lord Jesus Christ to your coworkers, to your uh, to your neighbors, to your friends. Walk, enjoying life, 
enjoying the Lord at his pace. Forget about trying to measure up and live up to our Americanized expectations of how we define success, failure, commitment, Christian living, and go back to the Bible. What did God say? God said, work. When it's time to work, work hard. When it's a time, when it's a season of labor, labor longer. When it's a season of rest, don't feel guilty that you're taking a little bit slower pace right now. Uh, all of those things come around. And next week we'll have Vacation Bible School, a week from tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be a time where we step up and we work hard. It's a season of labor. Hopefully it'll produce a season of harvest. And there's a lot of work extra going, ramping up. But there's going to be a time of rest coming out of it. And so don't feel bad when it's time to rest. Enjoy the, the time to get alone and reconnect with God. Listen, I'm just going to say this tonight, this morning. I don't know if this has been too much, too philosophical, or too for us to absorb. It's a process for me to absorb. But I would say this. Without a biblical Sabbath, life will be overwhelming. But with a genuine Sabbath, life will glorify God. What does God say to us? He says, the path to perfect peace is through Sabbath rest, Sabbath worship, Sabbath fellowship, communion with God. Shabbat. Shalom, shalom. Rest. Perfect peace. Say, Pastor, that's the law. No. The law is you can't cook and you can't do this and you can't do that. It's got to start at this time and it's got to end at that time and it's got to be on this day and it's got to be on that day. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about the rhythm and pattern of creation that God in his wisdom established when he created the earth. That Jesus called us back to when he corrected the distortion of the Sabbath by the Pharisees. He didn't do away with it. He didn't stop practicing it. He just practiced it the way that God intended it. Why? Because as you would find out a little bit later in chapter 12, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Find Sabbath rest and enjoy perfect.